Hello, friends, and welcome to the Truth For Your 20s podcast. My name is Katie, and everything I do is to be who I needed when I was younger. And if I was 20 today, I would want someone who spoke the truth, wrapped in love, and also knew how to make TikToks. So that's exactly what I'm doing over here, and to have conversations with my favorite people on the internet. Today, I have a review of the week. Thank you to everyone who has been leaving reviews. I have a goal of reaching 250 reviews on iTunes, and we are on our way. And I've probably said this before, but this is my favorite review. This is... (laughs) This is everything I hope that you are hearing on the other side of the earbuds. And um, this is this is just amazing. This is from Anna Kate, exclamation point, the best cool aunt. Katie spoke at my sorority a few years back, and she was incredible. Shortly after, I started listening to her podcast, and I have been hooked. I live for the new episodes. As soon as I get up in the morning, I turn one on while I get ready, even if it's one I've already listened to. Don't miss out on all this great advice. Anna Kate, this is the best review ever. Thank you so much for this. Uh, I especially love the title of the cool aunt. (laughs) I appreciate you. And thank you so much for you and for everyone who leaves a review. If you haven't done that yet, it really helps other girls to find us. And I know every review podcast people ask you to do this, but um, it's just because it really helps. And we're trying to reach a goal of 250 reviews. So I appreciate everyone who does that. If you are listening the week that this airs, it is Thanksgiving week, so happy Thanksgiving to you. I am truly grateful for you, and we hit a milestone. We hit 300,000 downloads on this podcast, so wow, wowzer wowzers. I'm uh, just grateful, and what a perfect week to do that here on Thanksgiving week, so so, so grateful for you. And one more thing, Thanksgiving week, so Black Friday, I am going to be listing all of the shirts that I have left over from speaking events. So I usually buy a lot of shirts for when I travel to different schools, and I have just a a little bit left. I don't know, like maybe 30 total shirts. So starting on Black Friday, I'm going to be like, okay, we got seven larges, six XL, whatever it is, in two different styles. So starting Black Friday, every day until they're gone, I'm going to put that on my stories. So if we're not already Instagram friends, I would love to connect with you on Instagram, Katie Bulmer Life. I'm going to be sharing the t-shirts there. And my DMs are always open. Just a reminder, I'm not like, I feel weird to even remind you. Like, of course I check my DMs. Of course I respond to you. Like, yes, I want to be friends with you. I want to hang out with you. So Instagram is my best place to be in contact with me. And okay, today's episode is really good. I hope that you love it. Ryan George visited all seven continents and both polar circles, searching for meaning and acceptance, contentment and recognition. And as you ran from pain, regret, and insecurity, he chased diverse adrenaline rushes and social media affirmation. Who can relate? But what he actually found was God with new definitions for words like success and adventure. And despite decades in the church, his faith became more real and alive as he was running away. So I find this so fascinating. Ryan, I cannot wait to unpack this some more. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Polar cap, first of all, I can't even imagine. <laughs> like, what in the world? Sounds cold. Tell me a little bit about your background, and then we're going to talk about your adventures. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a pastor's home, went to Christian school as a little kid, and then my parents homeschooled me the rest of that time. Before I was homeschooled, uh, I was bullied a lot. Uh, when I got to college, I wasn't one of the cool kids. I was socially awkward. I was not the person I am now. And so when I started my career and started to get some disposable income and social media came out, it was like, oh, I can prove to the world that I'm worth something, that I'm valuable, that people should be interested in me. And so I chased being interesting. So I did that both with writing and with traveling. And then 
eventually when the GoPros came out, it came with digital courage where I would hit that button and I would get the courage to do super scary things, jumping off buildings and out of airplanes. I've ridden on airplanes while they're doing aerobatic maneuvers out on the wing. I'm literally outside the plane while they're doing that stuff. But when it all started, it started out of this place of insecurity to try to prove the world I was valuable and worth something. And God hijacked all of those trips and was like, hey, you don't have to do that. I'm here and I love you for who you are. And as I started to go on these adventures with people of faith and they helped me process those moments with the eternal, um, they became spiritual adventures, not just physical ones. I'm like legit picturing you Mission Impossible style on the wing of an airplane. Like what? (laughs) It feels like that. I mean, I feel like a stuntman for sure. Well, hey, maybe that could be your side job, (laughs) stunt double. There we go. You went running from God, so to speak, you know, tracing, like trying to prove your validation. God was like, hey, you don't have to do all that. But you're still an adrenaline junkie. So there's a lot to (laughs) process in that. Talk to me about like how that kind of came from a low point, but now doing it out of love. Well, part of that is therapy. I go to therapy every week and have for three years. Part of that was several years ago. I was actually on an adventure. I was stand-up paddleboarding in the mountains of British Columbia via helicopter. And when we got back to civilization, I got a text message from my wife saying that a young lady had come to live with us. And eventually I became her dad. 18 years of marriage of trying not to become a parent, all of a sudden I was (laughs) against my will, if you will. And leaning into that showed me the heart of Jesus and how good it was for me and how he loves me in a way that I never anticipated. I grew up in a very, very conservative religion as a kid. And so I had these views of God as just waiting to knock me down and always disapproving of me. The pastors that I grew up around use shame a lot rather than love as an incentive. As I started to feel the heart of God in the last three to five years, and then to process these adventures through, hey, what did I learn about myself today? What did I learn about God today? What did I learn about spiritual community? And then the big one is, is, hey, we just crossed a line from I've never or I couldn't to I just did. What's something back home that feels just as intimidating? Maybe it's relational, spiritual, vocational, whatever, educational, and go, okay, now we know that this line is arbitrary. So when we go home, what are you going to do to lean into that difficult thing? Yeah, I just began processing all of that. And like, even the pandemic, pandemic knocked my business down huge. And I just was like, God, what are you trying to teach me? And it was one of the richest years of my life, you know? And so when we start to process those moments through the filter of faith and what we're learning about God, he's going to reveal himself. He says, those who seek will find, those who knock, he'll open, right? When we intentionally involve ourselves, whether that's physical adventures, relational ventures, financial, vocational, educational, whatever, through that filter of faith, of course, he's going to reward it and reveal himself. When you do these brave things and jumping out of airplane or whatever it may be, that seems impossible. That seems crazy until it's done. There's so much to unpack there. (laughs) Just thinking about little things that I've learned from exercise, like thinking I can never lift this or I can never do this Mm. yoga pose. And then you do it. We've all done this at some level. You've done it turning up the notch (laughs) to (laughs) to the max degree. So what is that like? Maybe give us an example of, you know, experiencing it's crazy until it's done. Oh, man, I remember the first time I was upside down in an airplane. It's just wild. Every time you get on an airplane, you sit down in a chair and put a seatbelt on. You never expect a plane to be upside down. The first time I drove a car more than 150 miles an hour, you're just like, what in the world does that feel like? You know, it's just unreal bungee jumping. I just got back. I was in Copenhagen Friday, uh, bungee jumping off a tower. I've never done that before. So the first thing I ever jumped off of, believe it or not, other than like a swing, you know, growing up on the playground. I jumped off the 63rd story of a building in Auckland, New Zealand. And my brother said that the way my fear looked on me physically was like I was constipated. (laughs) I was walking like I had to go to the bathroom. And that was the fear moment. And then after you jump, it's a freedom like you can't explain to anybody. People say... 
like you're not sane to go out on the wings of airplanes while they're doing rolls and loops and stalls and stuff. I was like, maybe not. I said, but I've experienced something that very few, like 1,200 people in the history of humanity have ever experienced. And I can't explain that to somebody. It's kind of like the first guy in your class or the first girl in your class that kisses somebody of the opposite gender and they know the secret and they're like, no, I'm telling you, it's not as gross and weird as you think. Like, this is actually a good time. It's kind of like that to try to explain to somebody who's never felt that way. I remember the first time I went wing walking when I landed back on the grass and my classmates were there. It's a school that you attend to learn how to do it. My classmates were there next to the plane. And I, the first thing I shouted when we landed was, I've never felt so alive. And that's the only way I could explain it. I asked one of my other classmates afterwards, I said, what are you feeling right now? She was a travel nurse in her 20s. And she looks up in the sky and she said, I feel an incredible peace. And you wouldn't think after an adrenaline rush that peace is the word you feel. There are two meanings to peace, right? Peace can mean tranquil, sitting next to a beach, watching the waves. But it can also mean a truce where warring has just stopped, right? There's a peace there. And so what happened was there was a war between me and my fears. And my faith overcame it. And the war is over. And now what washes over you, she was absolutely right. It was peace. And you go, man, I feel this at a soul level and I wish other people could too. And I've had the same thing in spiritual adventures when somebody I know gives their life to Jesus and I get to baptize them or they have this huge breakthrough with Jesus or you you see somebody make a hard surrender or a hard decision and a hard obedience and you go, that, I can't explain that to anybody else until you've experienced it. Right. And so I do words for a living. You know, I've written hundreds of thousands of words in my life. You run out of words after a while. Some things you just have to experience. Obviously, you know, these are adrenaline highs and I'm not interested in walking the wings of airplanes. Uh, Maybe some listeners are, but (laughs) maybe in a smaller scale, we all have scary moments, maybe going to an event and you don't know anyone and introducing yourself. Like what are maybe some steps Mm. to that? And that kind of grows our faith and grows our bravery, maybe an elementary way to kind of start this and not that we all aspire to jump out of airplanes, but like, you know, just a way to kind of exercise that faith. Yeah. That's what I tell people first is I said, I didn't write a book about how to conquer your fears to get other people to go out on the wings of planes. If they do, that's great. The number one feedback I've gotten since I wrote the book was you gave me courage to be vulnerable with another human. Sometimes that's it. Maybe it's confessing a sin. Maybe it's confessing a fear. Maybe it's inviting someone over for dinner who has a different politician sign in their yard. We all have a different thing in the back of our chest that we're like, oh, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm going to go introduce myself to that person or I'm going to walk that person across the street. Or for me, I'm not great at counseling. Like I'll meet with guys. They ask me all the time. One of my friends recently uh, survived infidelity and his wife left him and he's going through divorce. I've not walked that journey. He's like, hey, can we go to lunch? And it was so scary. Like I had to use the restroom before we talked, right? Because I was so nervous. For me, that was like jumping off a building. Now for my wife, that's her day job, right? Like that's not a fear for her. It's not something that scares her. One, I want to validate for people that you don't have to do whatever necessarily scares you. Like for instance, my brother is culinary bravery, way more braver than me. He's almost Anthony Bourdain. I'm chicken nuggets, pizza, hot dogs kind of guy. And he tries all these foods in all these different countries. It's okay that we're different, right? And it's okay that it's going to look different. But as far as the first step, the small step, it's the thing you know right now as I'm talking is in the back of your head going, oh, I need to answer that text I don't want to answer. I need to reply to that email or I need to read that thing that I know is going to change my mind and I'm afraid to read it because I I don't want to change my mind. It could be any number of things. Oh, that's so good. I think that you hit the nail on the head that all of us have that 
thing that, you know, is brave that we're like, don't mention that, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. A few weeks ago, my wife, she goes, Hey, did you text your daughter? My daughter was in college. She's home for a summer now. She's like, did you text your daughter? Today? I was like, no, I've been so nervous. I don't know what to say to her today. And then like two hours later, she's like, did you text your daughter? I was like, no, I, I don't know what to say. She's like, just text your daughter. She's like, you can get out on the wings of an airplane. You can text your daughter. I was about to say, meanwhile, a few sentences back, you said, oh yeah, last weekend I was bungee dropping off of what? What was that? Oh, it was a tower in Copenhagen, Denmark. Yeah, we had a long layover. Yeah, no big deal, as one does. <laughs> I mean, it's a great way to, to get a layover to go quickly. Talk to me about the book. You have all of these adventures, and obviously, it's not just for you. There's so much to unpack. The book writing process, all of the good stuff that we can expect from the book. The biggest wrestle of writing the book wasn't the actual writing. Again, I'm a writer for a living. I have a degree in writing, awards behind my name, all that stuff. The hardest part was wrestling with a legacy. I have a tendency even as I've gotten healthier as I pursue these adventures, that I'll tack God on to my story rather than to leverage my story for his kingdom. And so what I didn't want the book to be, and nobody would have picked it up, was here's all the cool things I've done. What I wanted people to know was what I've wrestled with and been very vulnerable about, but what God showed up and did. Every chapter is, this is what I learned about the heart and character of Jesus in my life when he ambushed me in Antarctica or in the Arctic, you know, jumping off a mountain in the Himalayas or whatever it is, including my failures. And it's one of the things I love about the Bible is all of the patriarchs, it seems like there's an embarrassing story about them, right? Like yes. it's like Noah got drunk, Abraham with what he did with Sarah was very inappropriate. Like there was a whole bunch of weird things. David had a whole bunch of issues. The disciples, Peter cut off a dude's ear and Jesus was like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's not what we're here for. What I have found is I, you know, I, I lead men's ministry. What's going to help them, people not ramp up and put their defenses up. What's going to help them engage with the content is if I lead with vulnerability and say, Hey, I did some of this stuff for the wrong reasons. And here's how Jesus redeemed it. Because all of us have that. We all have embarrassments. We all have failures. We all have dreams that we did accomplish or didn't accomplish. And if we could go through the filter of what did I learn about God in this? What did I learn about his character and his heart that will change how I live the rest of my life? I think that's what people are connecting with, especially on the audiobook, because you you hear me cry while I'm trying to read this stuff. <laughs> people really like to hear a grown man cry in an audiobook, I guess. Yeah, so that part was the biggest adventure was pulling the curtain back of The Wizard of Oz and showing that I'm just a little guy like everybody else with a megaphone. I've done pretty well on social media with likes and clicks and whatever else, but that that's not why we should be doing this stuff. I spend time talking about how we inoculate ourselves from comparison culture on the internet, because I mean, that's what it's built to do. Right. We celebrate other people and all the different ways that we invite Jesus into our journey. We have adventures then that don't need to be redeemed because he's working through the entire process. Do you know that you can book a call with me? Yep, just you and me. We can talk about boys or faith or finding your calling or what you want to be when you grow up or anything in between. My passion, as you know from this podcast, is to be who I needed when I was younger. And I book online mentoring calls all throughout the week. I have a calendar where you pick a time that works for you. And we just set a phone call, date, and make it happen. Usually I'm walking around my neighborhood. You can do whatever you want. But we're going to just get to all the good stuff. Sometimes all you need is an unbiased third party who has your best interest at heart. I want to be your adopted mom, cool aunt, best friend, whatever you want to call me, but let's get real. Let's get honest. I would love to be your mentor. Check all the information at katiebulmer.life.
a lot of our listeners are women. I would love for you just to flip the curtain back, if you will, and help us understand the men in our lives, because I feel like you have a very unique perspective of, you know, generally Mm. speaking, men are not going to share their emotions and they maybe not share what they're going through as much. And as the women in their lives, I just want to be more supportive. And so perhaps someone, uh, marriage or dating, and there is the adventure seeker within our guy. And again, maybe not an airplane jumper, but an adventure seeker in, in one way or another. <laughs> right. I guess, how can we support them and then kind of be their cheerleader in that? First of all, I need to tell you, I'm not like the typical dude. I don't hunt and fish, wear camo, paint my fa- paint my face. I don't play sports. I guess you could say I play sports. I play disc golf. I'm not like the military rah 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 kind of guy i had four sisters growing up i I knew before i even started dating to put the seat down right so uh i was well trained um my mom before i graduated high school she made me read this book on manners and i read it like four times i was like if i'm gonna date in college i need to know where to put this fork and then of course you get to college and you don't have two forks and extra spoons and everything else it's a cafeteria right but i remember something that changed my character as much as maybe anything in my teens and 20s was I read a story from a girl and she said, I look at guys and how they treat their mom and their sisters because eventually when he's comfortable with me, that's how he's going to treat me. And that shook me because I didn't speak respectfully to my mom. I wasn't a great brother. And I've utterly changed that. I don't know that it's necessarily dating advice, (laughs) but I would look for guys that are soft like that and to reward when the guy is vulnerable with praise so that that becomes habit forming. So just like all my other adrenaline rushes, we know chemically when we're in those fight, flight or freeze moments, when we do them, when we act in Mm -hmm. faith and courage that we get rewarded chemically for that and it becomes addictive. If women will affirm and celebrate when a guy does a hard thing emotionally and relationally, I think it goes along. I've seen guys open up when I've done that with them, where they they confess something in front of a group and then you gave them space and you could, hey man, thank you for sharing. That took a lot of courage for you to do that. That when you validate that, then of course that changes behavior, right? Over time. Yeah. I've seen that happen over and over again. The more a woman celebrates when a guy does a hard thing as a dad or as a provider or makes a tough choice, celebrating that does more for a guy than you'll ever know. And yeah, this is kind of a weird thing, but so my brother-in-laws, I I love, I've got four sisters, four brother-in-laws, and half of them had um, siblings with special needs. And it's been very interesting to see how much softer they are as men and more comfortable in who they are because of that experience. And so take a guy on a date to a special Olympics event or something like that and see how he handles it. I don't know how I would have handled it in my 20s, but man, I respect those guys in my life for how soft they can be. Watch them around kids. I'm the softest I am with kids five and under. (laughs) Mr. Ryan, Mr. Ryan, Uncle Ryan, you know, yeah, the run across the parking lot in my church and jump into my arms. And that wasn't always the case for me. I've softened over time. One of my friend's wife, she said, you know, we've been friends for five years and you keep getting softer. And I just want to call that out in you. That was a gift to me from a woman who's married to a buddy of mine, you know, to call out when a guy does something relationally brave. You know, on paper, you know, you brave doing all of these crazy adventure seeking things. We say, oh, well, that's super brave. But doing those emotional brave things too, like it's almost different categories and positive reinforcement, you know, what gets rewarded gets repeated. And as we can help encourage anyone in our lives, um, men or friends, but um, I I see this in you. 
And guys express their insecurity different than what yeah. women do. I don't dare to be an expert on where women, how they battle, and that's your job. But I see a lot of guys who are afraid to fail. They're afraid to let their wives down, their friends down. And I've seen so many guys. One of my friends doesn't have a college education. Every time he prayed in our prayer circle, he would try to use big words and try to say so much. I just had to go to him like, man, you don't have anything to prove to us. We know you're smart. We look up to you. We look at how your daughter looks at you and how your son-in-law feels about you. Like, you got this. You have nothing to prove to us. And you can watch the shoulders relax, right? This dude is four years older than me. It's not like just a youth thing. He's been waiting his whole life for someone to say, you don't have to go to college for us to think you're smart. Or you don't have to have this kind of job or drive in in this kind of car. It's been so fascinating to me as I've had several friends I've walked with uh, through their divorce. And because of the financial things that happen in divorce, a lot of times they end up driving a vehicle that's not as cool as all their buddies. They'd be like, I don't think any less of you because you came in here in a Nissan Rogue rather than a lifted F-250, right? Right. (laughs) That seems like a small thing to a woman, but to a dude, that is a huge deal. And so if you can affirm and say, hey, I know you're driving that because you're trying to be responsible with your finances. And I know that you gave a huge donation to this mission trip over here. I highly respect that you're making a decision for the kingdom with your money instead of for your ego. Mm-hmm. Man, guys remember that. I had a guy walk up to me in the parking lot the other day at church and he said, you know what you're really good at? He said, you're really good at encouraging. Every card you've ever written me, I still have. Mm-hmm. It was brave for him to say that in front of his buddies on a parking lot, right? Yeah. But because I had affirmed him, that affirmation means so much to dudes. I don't think women know how much you could use that as a, not as a weapon, but as a tool in your toolbox for affirming your, your dude in your life and seeing where that goes. Wow. That's powerful. Well, something you said now, um, God's convicting me. I got to encourage you. You have a daughter adopted, so to speak, coming to your life later in life. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Family friends of ours, the father actually just passed away. They ended up taking a, a woman who had a middle school boy. She was fleeing an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. The, the mother and then the middle school boy lived with him for about a year. This young man had never seen a healthy model of a man, never felt seen a healthy uh, relationship, a healthy marriage. He saw that, was modeled that. It, you know, His relationships at school improved, his relationships, um, his school grades improved, everything. And then this woman ended up marrying and meeting a wonderful man and is treated well and Mm -hmm. has a healthy marriage. The father that took them in just passed away. They were an older couple. All of this grieving process and stuff, it kind of, she shared because you brought me in, you know, we didn't share a sermon. There wasn't a 10 point uh, on how to have healthy relationships. You just modeled to me what it looked like to be a loving, supportive husband. It changed a generation and it changed this family. And mm-hmm. I just think that's so powerful. So thank you for what you did for this young lady. I don't know all the, the nuances <laughs> behind it, but just a little encouragement, just being who you are is more powerful than we realize. There's a book that came out in January called The Men, or maybe it's February, called The Men We Need. And the whole idea is looking at masculinity, both from a women's perspective and a male perspective, looking at guys and going, how are you doing at tending the garden? Does everybody feel safe and protected and cared for around you? I made the story you just told reminded me. So I lead a uh, ministry team at my church. Uh, we're the greeters in the parking lot. So as you drive in the parking lot, we're the people that smile and wave. And a woman had uh, totaled her car in our parking lot, which is hard to do to total your car in a church <laughs> yeah, parking really. lot. But she met Jesus. She got baptized. She joined our team. She was the only woman on our team for the longest time. Now there's a bunch of women on our team. 
And uh, she was there for her master's. Uh, and our, we, I live in a college town. And she got ready to move back to Florida to be with her family. And we did a prayer around her and, you know, commissioning her to take her ministry home. And she stopped and she said, guys, you don't know, you weren't doing this on purpose, but I need you to know I've never had a healthy relationship with a man until I served with you guys. Mm. And all of you treated me how a woman should be treated. And now I have a higher standard for any guy I'm going to date or get involved with going forward. We weren't trying to. We were just showing up, praying over her, treating her like a teammate should, you know, like not necessarily like one of the boys, but to treat her as an equal and to do that in such a way. And we had no idea. And so we don't know who we impact. The women that you're coaching through this podcast, I would say look for guys like that. If other women feel safe around this dude, there's probably a a good spiritual vibe going on that he's trustworthy. Not that he's perfect or anything like that. But if people feel safe around somebody, Jesus is emanating through. That's part of his character. Every person, religious, non-religious, secular, government, prostitute, outcast, everybody felt comfortable around Jesus and felt safe in his presence. Look for guys like that. Reach. Oh my gosh. So good. One of the quotes I say all the time on this podcast is you can't be what you can't see. And if you've never been modeled a healthy relationship, if you've never been modeled what it looks like to be on fire for Christ as a 20 something, whatever it is, it is harder to model that, you know, become that you can't be what you can't see. And it's hard to see in a dating app. <laughs> I know, right? You don't know is a person kind or is, you know, I, I'm so thankful I dated before apps and all the social media. I was talking with one of my friends the other day. I said, man, I don't know. At what point do you stop using an app when you're dating somebody? At what point do you put on Facebook that we're now in a relationship? I said, I can't even <laughs> imagine <laughs> all the complications yeah. that people who are dating and marrying right now go through. But you can tell after 20 minutes with somebody if they're kind. Yeah. It reminded me several years ago when I first started leading a small group for our church, I was talking to our pastor. I said, I don't feel qualified. And you guys, how do you know that I'm capable of leading this. And he said, well, we only have one criteria. We look at someone and see how long it takes them to respond to the Holy Spirit. And if that timeline of response is getting shorter and shorter, we don't have to trust you. We can trust the Holy Spirit. So as long as you're soft and pliable, we're just going to trust God. We'll we'll have to correct. You're going to get things wrong. The early church had tons of heresy, tons of relational mess ups, whatever else. But if you can be corrected and if you can be open to people speaking truth into your life, then we can mold you into a leader. And so it's that way in almost every interpersonal relationship. When someone is soft and pliable and apologizes early, like those things stand out in our culture right now. Ryan, I want you to just kind of bring us back a little bit to the book. When is it available? Tell us the life change we can expect. What I've been signing in all the books is that I hope you follow God outside of your comfort zone. That might be to make a friend in a culture that you've never done before. You know, we see all kinds of the wrong ways to do it in the news. It it could be any number of things. I will promise you, like I I don't have a scripture and verse for this other than the fact that over and over in scripture, we see that obedience is followed with blessing and reward. That when we do the hard thing, not for the sake of doing a hard thing, like don't go stand in front of a train and ask to meet Jesus because you will just not in the way that you're planning. But if it's a Holy Spirit prompt, and for me, how I know it's the Holy Spirit and not my ego is if it doesn't build my kingdom or if it's inconvenient to me, right? And so if you're getting a prompt that's like, oh, that's uncomfortable, but I know that's the right thing to do. 
to do that. And if I can inspire people to do that, any chapter in my book, I, I tell people they're not sequential. So every chapter has a picture. So find a picture you like, find a weird headline you like, whatever it is, you can read it in any order. But the book's out now. It's out in print. It's in audio format. It's in ebook. It's in the Hoopla app. I don't make a dime off this book, just so you know. All the money goes to support. There's an organization that I love that builds schools for girls in conflict wow. zones where typically girls can't go to school. You buy books, you're helping girls get educated educated in countries halfway around the globe. Wow. Listen to that, ladies. We do a lot of, I have a lot of um, sorority women, educated women supporting other women who want to be educated, but can't get it for whatever reason where she lives. But wow, that, oh my Mm. gosh, thank you for doing that. That's so kind. I had to take as many improper motives for writing my book out of the equation. (laughs) If I were trying to do it to make money or to be famous or whatever, none of the above are true then the stakes of this book are much higher. But if all I have to do is say, I just hope people get encouraged. My brother-in-law posted Friday. He's like, man, I just read through Ryan's book again. This is the second time I've already read through and I want to live a different life. Man, nobody could give me better feedback than that. I don't care if you review it on Amazon horribly, but if there's something that sticks in the back of your mind and you have eight seconds of bravery and you do the hard thing later on in your faith life, that's fine by me. And I love what you said, finding something out of your comfort zone can all relate to that. And we can all do something today out of our comfort zone. Ryan, I always like to ask our guest before we're wrapping up, if you could have coffee with your 20-year-old self, what would you say? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'd say you don't have anything to prove. You don't have anything to prove to anybody. Your dreams are okay. The opening story in the book, when I was in high school, I wanted to work either as an automotive designer or as an automotive journalist when I grew up. Cars were my passion. And my pastor at the time was like, that's unholy. That's materialistic. There's no cars in heaven. God doesn't want that from you type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was crushed. And I went off to college. Long story short, I didn't design automobiles. I didn't work for a car magazine. Uh, but God redeemed it because he led me to a parking lot. I lead the parking lot ministry at a church of what used to be thousands before COVID. I don't know exactly how many it is right now. And the conversations, I had a stranger, a woman collapsed in my arms. I didn't even know her name. She said, my daughter died this week. Mm-hmm. Would you have your friends pray for me? I've had grown men crying out on the asphalt. People give their life behind the cones <laughs> as cars are going by, give their life to Jesus. And I went, you know what? My passion for cars and chatting about them and talking to people about cars didn't have to be redeemed because God wired that into me. And the way he made me for adventure, for novelty, for searching for him all over the world. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs, that says, it's the pleasure of God to hide things. Like it's the arrogance or the pride of kings to find things, but it's the pleasure of God to hide things. And He's inviting me to go all over the world to find it. This past week, I was in the Faroe Islands. And most people, when I tell people I was in the Faroe Islands, they go, where is that? So it's south of Iceland. It's north of Scotland. It's some of the most remote places you've ever seen in your life. And I went to find Jesus and I found him. Like I was like, this is why I was drawn to come here. Anticipation to go, no, you're not broken. You're not wired wrong. The biggest thing in my life was porn or the biggest thing in my life was fame or the biggest thing in my life was riches. Yes, but adventure isn't unholy and love isn't unholy and acceptance isn't unholy. Nobody accepts us as much as Jesus. And so at 20 years old, if I could be like, dude, you're okay. Your wardrobe sucks. You get married. She's My wife has a ton of style. She's going to be great. You just wait two more years, stop wearing those (laughs) ugly polo shirts and get you into some decent stuff. But yeah, to just to be, hey, you don't have to do anything to prove anything to Jesus and you don't have to do anything to prove anything to anybody else. 
you're worthy of love. Last story here, but several months ago, I had something beautiful happen in a therapy room. I had an amazing thing happen in my career and I couldn't tell anybody online because it looks like bragging, right? And I've struggled with pride and arrogance my whole life and I, I didn't want to. And I remember I'm telling my therapist this story and she looked at me and she said, Ryan, that's amazing. You're allowed to celebrate that. And I just wept. Like, yes, we can celebrate the beautiful things that Jesus brings into our lives and the reward for our labor and the reward for the faith that we overcame our fears. I tell this over and over again, in the religion that I grew up in, you didn't need faith because everybody pretended they had everything figured out. And we never, ever leaned into something that was too hard for us because our religion is just like, just show up, say the things, pray the things. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, go home. I now have a true faith because on a weekly basis, I have to do things for Jesus that scare me. Oh my goodness, it's such a different life. And I tell people all the time, it is amazing on the wing of an airplane when it's upside down. Don't get me wrong. I would much rather be baptizing somebody in a tank at my church. Lean into it. You are you are worthy of however Jesus wired you. Mic drop. <laughs> I love it. I love that Jesus wired you for adventure. I just love the messy and creative and beautiful ways he created us mm. and how we clumsily yet beautifully the car thing, you know, like how God can redeem your passion for cars in a parking lot and change lives. One little parking lot. That's right. <laughs> so I think that it's beautiful. And I'm so thankful to connect with you and share this conversation with our listeners. Go get the book. Cool. Make sure make sure we link it in the show notes and your social media and all that good stuff as well. Thanks so much, Ryan, for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me.